right. How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. good. So, um, super excited this morning to uh, start a new series. Um, Sean's got the series graphic up there. Um, Our new series is called Citizens, uh, A Colony of Heaven on Earth. So, this is going to be a series in the book of Philippians. I'm super excited. Everyone familiar with the book of Philippians? Yeah? Nod your heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, I'm super excited about this morning, um, just super excited just as we worship together, just singing about how God will finish the work that he's started, and that's going to be a theme of the message this morning and in our text. So, um, <clears throat> has anybody watched ever, this is going to date some of you a little bit, uh, The West Wing? Anybody? Remember that show? Anything? Like, who is, all right, now the opposite question, who has never heard of that show at all? Well, everyone who's young. Okay, awesome. Um, so uh, there was a scene in the West Wing where uh, the, the guy who plays the president is talking about um, what it means to be uh, a, an American citizen, and he's referencing what it, means to, what it meant in ancient times to be a Roman citizen. And um, so the, the theme of our series is, as you can see, citizens. So I was thinking of that uh, as I was preparing, and I did a little research into what it meant to be a Roman citizen, because you actually see that in the Bible with Paul when he, as a Roman citizen, had the right to be, have his trial heard by Caesar. And um, what it meant to be a Roman citizen, what it meant to be a citizen in the day of Rome, it meant that these three words cloaked you with protection. No matter where you went, if somebody found you, you could say the words, civis Romanus sum, and basically that would mean I am a citizen of Rome, and they would back off. Because they may not know who you are, but they know, they sure know who Rome is. So in ancient times, somebody could travel across the known world and they could say those three words and that would mean they would be protected because the people would know what it meant to be a citizen of Rome. So we have citizenship today. Um, I have citizenship with the country of the United States, as do I imagine most of you. Um, and I have a book that I meant to bring this morning, but I forgot. So just imagine with me my passport up here, blue book, right? Everyone imagining? Nod your heads, okay? So that, that book is my civis Romanus sum. It means I am a citizen of the United States. And I've been out of the country uh, a few times, and in several countries, um, that book means a lot more there than it does here, okay? Um, mine's in a drawer somewhere um, right now. Um, <clears throat> but in many countries, that book represents something to them that it doesn't to us. And because citizenship matters, it means something in the world, it means something in the spiritual world, it meant something 2,000 years ago, and it means something now. Um, having that U.S. passport means a great deal. Some people would give their lives and take the lives of others to have the citizenship that that little book confers to me by birth. So citizenship means something. So through this series, we're going to be talking about what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom, a colony of heaven on earth. It means a lot of stuff. We're going to look at what it, not, what it means not to be a citizen of Rome or a citizen of America, but a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a holy remnant, partners in the gospel. So we're going to look at the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to start at the beginning. A little context, Philippi was one of the first churches, the first Jesus movements that Paul started in his ministry. Um, 
Philippi was a, um, a hotbed of Roman patriotism. So these were people who were soldiers, retired soldiers who were living in Philippi. Um, they were living for the glory of Rome. They were living in that context. So this church is living in this context, in the context of people who are living for the kingdom of Rome. They are citizens of the kingdom of Rome. And yet the church in Philippi, we see in Paul's letters, is countercultural to that. They are living for the kingdom of God. So here's what it means. Here's a summary. If you're taking notes, this is the first big thing, the first summary for what it means for us to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven is like the church in Philippi for our culture, our families, and our church to mirror Christ, to mirror what Christ says is the kingdom of heaven, to mirror Christ himself. Say it again. For us, what it means to truly be citizens of the kingdom of heaven is for our culture, our families, and our church to mirror Christ himself. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about partnership, what it means to partner with each other, to partner with other churches, and we're going to talk about how God finishes what he started. We already sang about that this morning. So if you'll turn to Philippians 1, 1 through 8, and if you'll stand if you're able to honor God's word, we're going to read Philippians 1, 1 through 8, and it says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, For you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much um, that you are good. Thank you so much that you've given us a picture of your church in Philippi. Father, thank you that you call us to partnership and that It doesn't have to be a super scary, intimidating thing because you give us the strength to do it, because you will finish the work that you've started. So, Father, I just pray this morning that um, as we hear from your word, as we um, look at this, Father, that you would break down barriers in our hearts, Father, that you would um, remove walls that we have built up. Father, uh, just pray against um, just all the things that would keep us from being your church, from loving each other, from loving people in our city, Father. We just pray that your spirit would move in this place this morning. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start working through the text. So a uh, really cool thing about this text, and you'll notice it in a lot of the epistles, and um, if you don't know, this is how people would start a letter in this time. So he starts out with a customary structure, Um, The origin of the letter, Paul and Timothy, the recipient, all the saints at Philippi, and then a greeting. 
So the common greeting in the Greek world um, would be something like greetings. Um, and the common greeting in the Jewish world would be something like peace be unto you. So Paul intentionally deviates from the normal Greek structure and the normal Jewish structure. He combines them and he changes them and he says this. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how he starts this letter. And that's how we need to start this time this, this morning. Rather than simply the word for greetings, Paul uses the word um, chorus, which is the word grace in Greek, combining the Greek greeting and the Hebrew greeting together in the greeting grace and peace. This is intentional because the grace that Jesus has poured out on the cross, which he was referencing, leads us to the shalom, the peace of God in the Jewish culture. He was combining not only cultures, but he was explaining the gospel. So the whole gospel is explained just in that intro. Paul then speaks of the thankfulness that he has for the church in Philippi because this church was like awesome. Like they were killing it. They, were, um, they had been one of the first churches Paul had established. And then Paul, who's writing this from prison, he had just been visited by one of their members who had come all the way to where he was imprisoned and brought him food and financial assistance. Because um, unlike now in the prisons of the ancient world, they didn't feed you. Um, they would just lock you in a room a lot of times and be like, all right, you're, you're in prison. And it was up to the friends and the family of the pri- uh, imprisoned to actually feed them and keep them alive in prison. So Paul was talking about his thankfulness for the church at Philippi because they had actually sent someone on a perilous journey to feed him and to give him food and financial assistance, which was no small sacrifice. It's not just like, you know, hey, I'm going to go bring somebody a meal who lives at Hilltop, even though that is a long way away. Um, Jonesboro, reckoning. Anyway, um, I guess it'd be more like taking a meal to someone in Paragould, probably. That's a longer way. Um, Thanks for the people that laughed at that. I appreciate you. You're, you're awesome. Um, so anyway, so Paul is thanking the church at Philippi, and he's, he's super um, just thankful for them. And he, he relays the confidence that he has that God will finish the work that he is doing in their church and that he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. So this passage gives us a picture of what it means to be truly partnered together in ministry. Gives us a picture of the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus, that he is going to finish the work he has started. Um, That can be something that's that's often troubling for me. I don't know about for you, but just thinking in times where it's hard or when something's going on or when I'm feeling discouraged, like, God, what are you doing? Where are you bringing me? What is happening here? And Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi, saying that God will finish the work he has started. We're going to talk about that. So, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at partnership, and we're going to look at how God will finish the work. Two themes in this message. So first point, if you're writing a point down, here's point number one. We only got two this morning, so cutting back. Um, gospel partnership requires risk-taking faith in Jesus with others for the kingdom. Okay? Gospel partnership requires risk-taking faith in Jesus with others for the kingdom. So, <clears throat> we're called first as the church in Philippi. They were partnered together as a church, as a local church. We're called individually 
to be partnered together in the context of a local church. We had um, the Heralds up here, we had the Shepherds up here, and the Yangs who have partnered with us in membership as a local church, as fellowship. That's what they were signifying. They are partnered together individually with us as a local church. This is um, something that Scripture calls us to do. Hebrews 10.25 commands believers not to forsake gathering together, but to cling to one another. Acts 2.42 says the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. So throughout the early church, you see a group that was tight-knit, that was family together. They gave of their resources to one another. They loved one another, and they partnered together. So as a church body, though, not only are we called to individual partnership with the church, but as a church, as Fellowship Jonesboro, we are called to partnership with other churches. We are called to partner. We have so many partnerships in our church. We have partnerships internationally and locally. We're super excited about that. See, the Philippian church had investment in both people and resources in the work of Paul's life. They sent someone to care for him. They supported him financially. The early church shared their possessions in view of their common calling to see the gospel flourish. Acts 4 says, The church who were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but everything they had in common. And with this great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was poured out upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as they had in need. This is a picture of what the church should be, a picture of what it means to be partnered together. Jeremy Treat in his book Seek First says this, talking about communities and partnership. He says, communities exist because they are bound together by something in common. Fans build communities based around their common devotion to a team. Voters form communities based on their common political beliefs. Activists create communities around common cause. The church is the community of those united in Christ the King. Jesus is what we have in common. So throughout our culture, you see different communities. There are tons of communities. Um, I'm trying to think... uh, I learned about a new community the other day, okay? And you too can learn about this community if you go to Craighead Forest Park on Saturdays. Um, does anyone know what I'm about to say? Savannah laughed. I bet, yeah, Savannah might know. All right, so there is, uh, there is uh, does anyone know what LARPing is? <laughs> yes, Trenton knew. Okay, so I'm rolling up into uh, Craighead Forest, and I look over and I see a dude with like literally a sword and a shield and a helmet, like walking through the, through the field. And I'm just like, what is going on? I must know. <laughs> so like, interesting. I'm just like, I must find out what is going on here. And um, so then I look further and there's like a whole group of people with swords and shields and like staves and like, I'm just like, it's like a Lord of the Rings reenactment going on here. And which I would totally be down for, by the way, like, let's do it. Um, so no, anyway, I, I discovered that there's a community of people in Craighead that do uh, live action role play where they get together and they like act out um, if anyone knows what that actually is, I, I don't, so I'm just kind of like guessing. But they like, they like act out like, you know, fantasy uh, plots and like Lord of the Rings, like reenactment Lord of the Rings, I guess. That's basically what it is. But anyway, like I discovered a new community, and they are a community because they are united around that common cause, okay? Um, I don't, yeah, so that's, that's an example of a community. Another community um, that's a pretty niche community, like, um, and they're coming to Jonesboro now is, has everyone heard of the axe-throwing craze? Yeah, 
So there's a thing now. It's like the escape room of 2019. It's like the fad right now. So where you, and there's one coming downtown to Jonesboro, and there's one in Brooklyn, in case you want to check it out, um, where the, you, there's just these places where you get together and you get to throw axes into targets. That's it. And yeah, I mean, I've not done it yet, so I'm sure it's super awesome. But there are people that they gather around because of that. They gather to that. Um, we, uh, there's people in this church that gather around several different TV shows. We have people that gather in communities based around common things. But as the church, as the church in Philippi and as the church in Jonesboro, as the church at Fellowship, our common thing that brings us together is Jesus. Not just knowledge about Jesus, but what Jesus has done in our lives. Because if, if we're brought together by knowledge of Jesus... Knowledge of Jesus is all we'll give. If we're brought together by experience of Jesus, we'll give experience of Jesus. Um, because I can know about somebody, I can know about someone, and I can tell someone about them. But if I've met them, if I've spent time with them, then I can tell someone who they really are. I can say, go, go spend time with them. Because I could introduce somebody to Trenton Hoggard up on the front row. I could introduce someone to him. Or rather, let's start here. I could tell someone about him. I could say, this is Trenton. This is what makes him tick. This is who he is. This is who he's married to and his kids. Like, but until they meet him, they really won't know him. Like, I know of a lot of people. Um, but there's a lot of people I haven't met. I don't really know them. You know how you say, like, oh, I don't know that. You say, hey, do you know this person? I'm like, no, I don't know that person. I know of them. And there's a big distinction there. So as, community, as a community of Christ followers... We are not telling people of Jesus. We're introducing Jesus to people. We're introducing them to him. It's not just hanging out. It's a shared investment and togetherness that hinges on a joined purpose. So in the, um, in the Christian church, the word koinonia means fellowship. Our church is called Fellowship, fellowship Jonesboro, koinonia Jonesboro. But here's the thing that we think of, at least the thing that I think of when I think of the word fellowship. I think of fellowship halls, and I think of meat, meat, and I think of food, and I think of eating dinners and potlucks, and, and that's what comes to mind, and that's true. That's fellowship. But um, when Paul is using the language that he's using when he's talking, here's what the word fellowship meant for him in the ancient world. Here's what it means, what he's trying to communicate is that the word fellowship in the text doesn't mean just hanging out, but it means a partnership. In Paul's day, it would have meant a partnership toward a goal or a business. It would have had a business terminology, sharing the goal and the financial burden of an endeavor. It meant sharing risk. It meant having a stake in the game. So example, let's say Thaddeus and Mark, my, my biblical names for this illustration, let's say they bought a boat together. That would be referred to as them going into a fellowship together because they are doing something. They're going to go fishing. They're, going to, they're starting a business. They're doing something together. That is a fellowship together with them. That's the connotation that this word would have. It's not just hanging out, but a shared investment and togetherness that hinges on a joined purpose. So think about it this way. If the boat fishing example didn't do it for you, how about this? Um, so I'm going to go back to my, the Lord of the Rings again, because why not? Um, the Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite series of books growing up, and the movies are really good too. But <clears throat> the biggest thing in the Lord of the Rings, the title of the first book is what? Does anybody know? 
Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, Gavin, awesome. The Fellowship of the Ring, okay? The koinonia of the ring. So this group of nine individuals were thrust together for an undertaking, for a giant task. They had to destroy the ring, right? Nine people were in the Fellowship of the Ring. So in the books and the movies, if you've seen them, if you haven't, please do so. Um, They relied on each other. They gave their lives for each other so they could make it to their goal. This is why these books meant something to people. It's why they resonated. It's why movies resonate with us because there's real stakes. There's things going on. There's stuff that matters. There's people giving their lives for each other. This is why the bond, even in this fictional story, is so powerful. Think about all the fictional stories. People will line up. Right now, Disney, Disneyland in Florida just released a giant new Star Wars exhibit. And people lined up for long amounts of time and spent lots of money just to get in there to experience that. Because those stories resonate. Because there's stakes involved. Because there's people giving up their lives for other people. They resonate. But imagine if the word fellowship of the ring meant what we think when we think fellowship hall. Nice. So imagine that. Julie, you're ready. You're going You're ahead of me. All right, so imagine instead of um, them getting together and fighting and going through this long, arduous journey to destroy the ring, and many of them, some of them didn't make it along the way. Spoiler alert. Um, but um, imagine if instead they just fellowshiped by how we normally think of the word. So instead of them doing all that, it was just, uh, there was no tension, no goal, no obstacles. It was just Boromir and Pippin hanging out. Like, it was just Gandalf and Gimli talking about the weather in their 401k, like, which would be an interesting series. Um, but it wouldn't be interesting at all, would it? <laughs> like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't tune in to see that. You wouldn't wait in line at midnight to see that movie. Like, there would be no stakes. It would be boring. So in Lord of the Rings, their very lives hung in the balance of the fellowship. That's why it was compelling. Um, and it may not look like that when we look at that fictional story or we look at, you know, Star Wars or we look at other people's lives and we think, my life's not like that. Like, I'm not doing anything for real. But the truth is everyone is doing something for real. <laughs> Some people just don't notice it until way later in their life, which is the, the tragedy. Like, we all are doing things. Our lives, all of our lives hang in the balance. Our city hangs in the balance. So spiritually, there are souls that are in need of Jesus that hang in the balance in our city, that depend on the fellowship of the church, on the mission of the church. Partnership matters. Martin Luther King Jr. says this. He says, if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. So the truth is, is that we can live our lives in relative comfort and feel in the end that we did not truly live. That's what the unique challenge, this is a unique challenge in our context in modern America. We're called to more. We're called to live for more. We're called to lay down our lives for other people. We're called to sell our possessions for other people. That's the calling of the church. Today we welcome new partners in our church. We call them partners because we're partnering together to see the gospel go forth in Jonesboro and around the world. That's what it means to be a part of this church. Partnering means committing to gather, to go, to grow, and to give. Jeremy Treat says this in his book, Seek First, which is a great book, by the way. He says this. this is a long quote. 
but it's not as long as Chad, so bear with me. <laughs> Thank you for the people that laughed at that too. Um, it says this, the church is meant to be an embassy of the kingdom of God. As citizens of heaven, we live in this world as ambassadors of our king, functioning under his rule and representing his kingdom. Although we live in this land, our life together as God's people is an outpost that operates under the authority of Jesus. One key difference between earthly embassies and our church, however, is that we are not restricted to the physical building or a piece of property in a capital city. The church is a community of disciples scattered across the world who gather locally in different places at different times to celebrate their king and encourage one another under his rule. Wherever we go, we carry the authority of our king, living by the ways of scripture and representing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Our heavenly citizenship doesn't make us worse citizens on earth. Quite the contrary. Because we pray for heaven on earth, our citizenship above compels us to seek flourishing here below. So that's, that brings us, we partner together to this end so we can see the kingdom of God here in Jonesboro. In Jonesboro as it is in heaven. When you think of that phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, when you pray that phrase, I just encourage you, Pray Jonesboro. Pray in Jonesboro as it is in heaven. In Valley View as it is in heaven. Students, in JHS as it is in heaven. In High Troll as it is in heaven. In KIT as it is in heaven. In St. Bernard's as it is in heaven. In ASU as it is in heaven. Wherever your context is, pray, God, bring your kingdom. What does it look like for your kingdom to be in this context? In my office cubicle, in the cubicle next to me, what does it look like for your kingdom to be in this context? Because the truth is, is that no one else is there as an ambassador. You are. God has put you there as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. That's what he's called us to individually. That's what we get to do as a church together. But also as a church, we get to partner with other churches. Right now, Chad and Jen are with our partnership group with Advanced Church Planning Network. We're a part of that group of churches that partner together to see the gospel go throughout the world. Churches from all over the world partnering together. We partner with churches in our city. We're super excited to partner with them in some events coming up this year. We're super excited. We had um, Trenton and I and Chad have been attending a, a group on Friday morning of pastors and leaders who are praying for revival in our city. This is what partnership looks like. But real quickly, there are some obstacles to partnership. There are some things that get in the way. And for us, there's two that I want to talk about. There's more than two, but two have really been what comes to mind that are obstacles not only to individual partnership in this church, us all partnering together, but to our church partnering with other churches. And the, these two obstacles that I feel like are most pervasive are individualism and idealism, okay? So individualism says, it's about me, it's my journey. It's all about what I can do, what I can accumulate for myself, um, selfishness, individualism, it's about my dream, it's about my journey. And that's, that's a lie. That's a lie that we suffer with in our context, in our culture. That yes, God calls us individually, but he calls us to join together with others. The gospel does not exist in a vacuum. It does not. He calls us to go out and to join ourselves with others. There are plenty of people that say like, I just don't want to be a part of a church. I don't want to really commit to being a part of a, of a church because of this, because of that, um, because I just want to, I can do better on my own. 
But God has called us to partner together because we are better together. I look around this room and I see so many different gifts, see so many different things. Even this week, think about um, what Billy and Laura are doing, what McGuirts are doing, what, what the shepherds are doing. I think about all of these people in this room that are just off the top of my head, like there are gifts in this room that some people have that we, others can't touch, that I can't touch. There's places that Callan Church can influence that Joey Ward cannot influence. Like God has given us the ability to reach the city of Jonesboro in this room. So if you doubt that, if you think, well, we're not, we're not this church, or we're not a big church, or we're not this, or we're not that. Jesus had 12 fishermen who were dropouts. Like, they were not stellar people, like, in the eyes of culture. Like, God has given us an opportunity and a passion. But those 12 people, when they saw Christ, when they met Christ, not when they just knew about Christ, because they'd been knowing about the Messiah and about the law their whole lives, but when it leapt off the page, and when it walked up to them and said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, they followed him, and they saw him die on the cross, and they thought, he's done. This is over. We wasted our lives. And then he, they saw him rise from the dead. And then those men, those women that followed him, they gave their lives. They gave, some of them gave their lives in horrible ways because they believed it, because they'd seen it. And from those people, from that early church, God spread the gospel throughout the world. So we can't believe the lie that it's just about us or there's not, a, there's not enough of us. There's not, what can we do? There's no sidewalks in Jonesboro. How can we fix that? That's one thing that God's put on my heart. I think I talked about this last sermon. I'm sorry, y'all. You're getting my extra stuff. But like, God's laid that on my heart. I'm just like, what can we do about that? I'm like, we can't do nothing about that. But then God's like, no, like, I can do something about that. I can do bigger things than you can do. So like, if the Lord's laid something on your heart, I encourage you, just ask yourself, how can I partner with fellowship? How can fellowship partner with other churches? Uh, secondly, individualism. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. Individualism is the first one. Like, we can't let that wreck partnership. But the second one, which I struggle with a lot, and I think if we're honest, most of us do, is idealism. Idealism gets in the way of partnership because we say, well, I can't really be partnered with this person if this, if blank. Or I don't really want to associate myself with this person because they don't do this exactly how I would do it. Or this isn't this way, or this isn't this way. And idealism can wreck um, relationships, can wreck marriages, can wreck friendships, and it can wreck, it can wreck churches. Because we think, I mean, this, this is not right, or this is this. And God has called us to realize that, like, we're a, we're a family. Like, if you look at the people in Scripture, if you look at James and Paul, they sometimes didn't get along. Like, you look at the disciples. They, they had infighting. They, they disagreed. If you look at anyone in the Old Testament, like, there was some real people there. But the good news is that it's not about how well we align perfectly. It's not about how well we treat each other all the time. Like, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to fail. But the good news is that Christ is the glue that holds us together. Because if it's not about Christ, there's no way we can do it. No way. Zero percent. Nada. We can't do it. But Christ is the glue that holds us together. So I encourage you, like, and that's true not only individually as we partner with the church, that's true for us as a church. 
We can't look at other churches in the city and go, yeah, but they're not exactly like us or this. We don't have time for that. We do not have time for that. We don't have time for that as individuals. We don't have time for that as a church. Um, and, and I just encourage you, like, we don't have time for that. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, that's a whole other sermon. Um, so the question is, this is what partnership is. This is what we've seen in the book of Philippians. The question now is, how do we, how do we take next steps in that? Well, big next step, if you want to get partnered together with our church, we're having coffee and connections right after this service. So if you want to take a next step, if you've been here for 10 years or you've been here for 10 minutes, you want to take a next step, that's where you go. If you want to get partnered together, if you want to say, hey, we should be doing this as a church, great. I've got, I've got the program for you. You run it. Like, that's where you need to go, okay? So we're going to meet at the Connect table right after this, okay? That's your next step. All right, moving on. All right, second point. That's what partnership is. Now, that's a tall burden, and that can be really intimidating, but the good news is that Paul doesn't leave it there. He says, I am confident that God will finish the work that he started. So the Philippian church started really well. God did this work. But Paul's confident that God's going to finish the work. And we see that throughout Scripture. So the second point, we sang it a lot this morning. We're going to sing it again in a few minutes. He is faithful to the end. He will finish what he started. And that's, that's the glue. That's the good news. That's the thing that makes partnership possible. That's the thing that takes broken people and lets them love each other. Okay? That doesn't exist outside of Christ, really. Like, you can't truly forgive. You can't truly love people that you don't have commonality with outside of Christ. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. O Lord, your loving devotion endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. God will not abandon the works of his hands. He will not abandon it. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, He will sustain you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be confident that Christ will finish the work in each of our individual stories and in the story of this church. We can be confident in that because Jesus is the anchor. He's the chief cornerstone of it all. All of us have parts in our stories that we'd rather not be there. We'd rather forget. There's parts in this church's story that we would rather forget. But the truth of the gospel is that Christ brings it all to glory. We have to believe that. We can believe that. We can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in what Christ has done. So I want to close with this. We sang um, that new song this morning. It said, uh, at the bridge, he's faithful to the end. He will finish what he started. And you may be here this morning. You may think, that can't be true for me. Like, I've done too much. I just don't care. Or I'm, I'm just, fill in the blank. That, that can't be true for me. I'm not, I don't feel that. I don't believe that truly in my heart. Well, I want to I I put you in a place, um, a place where this song was written. So the song we, wrote, we sang today, um, You Will Finish What You Started, it was written in on, on an album of songs called uh, Songs for the Nations. And a group of um, believers went around to different nations and they prayed for those nations and they wrote songs specifically for those nations with what God had laid on their heart for those, those nations. And if you think your story is broken, or you think there's, there's, you just don't see a way out, or you don't, see, you don't feel like God could really finish your story in a, in a good way, um, this group of people were in the nation of North Korea. 
Maybe you've heard of North Korea. They were in the most isolated nation on earth. And they're meeting with the church in that nation. And when, God, when they ask God, give us a word for this, this nation, this place, this is the song that, they, that God gave them. That he will finish what he started. He is faithful to the end. That for the church that's persecuted in North Korea, this is the song that they're singing saying, God is faithful to finish what he started. He's good. And if the church in North Korea can sing that, that is a word for us in Jonesboro. It's easy to look at Jonesboro and think this or think that or think, um, what, God, what are you doing here? He will finish the work he has started. So if you're here and you're, you're feeling burdened, you're feeling downtrodden, the good news is that he will finish the work he has started in your story. If you feel like it's, it's just too late or it's too far, that's not true. Not true. God loves you. He cares about you individually. He cares about this church. He cares about this city more than any of us could. And he is faithful to finish the work he has started. So here are our takeaways this morning. We are partnered together. We are partners in the business of grace. I said going into a fellowship together was like starting a business. We're in a business together in this room, and our business is Jesus and grace and seeing that go into the nations in this city. There's a, we, have, we have investments in this. We are, we are excited about this. We want to see it happen. 